Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A once prosperous and enormous country, Germany's punishment for their wrongs in the Great War of the 1910s were outlined at the Treaty of Versailles. As the world, particularly Europe, attempted to rebuild itself Heavy reparations were placed onto the losers, Germany. Land was handed over to France, Belgium, Lithuania, Czechoslovakia and Poland. An enforced demilitarization was put in place and a 15-year occupation of the Rhineland was ordered. Germany were to pay a reparation of 132 billion gold marks, the equivalent to about 250 billion pounds today. It took until October 2010 to pay that. In order to try and pay such an enormous amount at the time, the government, already in huge debt due to the war and without three million young men who had been killed fighting, well, they printed money, a lot of it, and then some more. The Weimar Republic suffered from hyperinflation and in 1923, 42 billion marks was now worth only a single English penny. It was in this atmosphere and this environment that meant that once the Great Depression arrived in 1929, Germany was rife for an extremist politician to grab control. Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party did just that. He stopped all payments of reparations and began to militarise once more. And in 1939, despite attempts at appeasement from Neville Chamberlain's British government, Hitler invaded Poland. On September the 3rd, 1939, at 11.15am, this was announced. This is London. You will now hear a statement by the Prime Minister. I am speaking to you from the Cabinet Room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British Ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Britain was at war with Germany once again. The horrors this second bout would bring were unimaginable. From a football perspective... Sports gatherings and all gatherings for purposes of entertainment and amusement, whether outdoor or indoor, which involve large numbers congregating together, 
are prohibited until further notice. The 1939-40 season had already begun, but as the country turned its attentions to the war effort, football in its normal format was quickly suspended. The first division was topped at the time by Blackpool. United were in 10th with a win, a loss and a draw in their opening three games. Crickmer, meanwhile, was now living on Stretford's Lyon Avenue, one and a half miles from Old Trafford, near where Trafford Park Station is now. His life, already busy, full of activity and stress, was about to get significantly harder. On the 6th of September, wars declared. So straight away, what's happened is all the players um, are told by the war ministry, you have to go home. So Jack Rowley, um, who was a, a, a Wolverhampton lad, Jack Rowley went down and started playing for a work team in Wolves. Jack Griffiths went home to Port Vale. Tommy Carpenter went to Burton. Um, Harry Worrell went out to Winsford. Jackie Wassell went home to Shrewsbury. So all of a sudden, Christmas lost all these players because they were going home to all these different places in the country. Alan B. Shilton went home to, to Newcastle. Um, so then what happened on the 16th of September, right, so 10 days later, Crickmer has organised a friendly against Bolton Wanderers to keep everything going. So for so on the 16th of September, he's organised a friendly with Bolton. On the 23rd of September, he's organised a, a friendly with Oldham. After that, there's games each weekend, the next against City and then Stoke and then Blackpool. And by this time, the middle of October, the Football League has said, right, we'll still play football, but on a regional basis. So now he's liaising with all the secretaries of all the other clubs to play in the regional league. So he was then, there was a regional league with Chester, with Liverpool, with Port Vale, Tranmere Rovers, Wrexham. Basically, a league started. So Crickman would have had to manage that league and do all the players' administrations, getting players, um, making sure players were available when they were in their, in their war unit. Could they get time off from their from their war unit to come and play for United. They had to get permission from the, C, the CO of the, of the camp that they were stationed at, the military camp. He, he would have then had to arrange transport to get them over to Liverpool or Wrexham. So he's organising buses and trains to get players here. He's, and, it's all, and remember, there's no email. He's doing it all by, by written, written mail, right? All communication from Manchester United at the start of the war came in handwritten letters from Walter Crickmer and Louis Rocker. So he's doing all of this organising with all these players. And when we didn't have a full team, because all these players are out at different places around the country, he's talking to a whole lot of local people trying to get guest players to play for us on a, on a guest basis. And so he's, he's ringing around, he's telegraphing people, he's writing to people. And he did that all the way through 1939 and 40 to try to get the team together. And he did it for the reserves as well. You would think that as war was declared, Crickmer, manager, secretary, letter writer, organiser, administrator, coach, player selector, etc, etc, you'd think he'd have to give something up. But no, while managing the first team, organising the admin, taking them to games, choosing the lineup, taking the kits back home, providing the players food, liaising with league officials and referees, and then doing all the same for the reserves, while doing all of this... One step further, the A team... And the Moojacks, the Moojacks were still playing. He kept the Moojacks going in 39-40. The extent to which this was a mountainous task cannot be overstated. In later years, Bill Folks would say, Walter Crickm always reminded me of a little dynamo. Nothing was too much for him. That's certainly the impression I get. Crickmer did write to John Bill. He asked him to become secretary manager of the Moojack teams and that proved a great help from a friend of over a decade. 
but to show the kind of work and situations that Crickma had to deal with at the start of the war, we'll take one specific match. Before the coronavirus pandemic and project restart, Manchester United's match against Everton in 1940 was the only time the club had ever played a league fixture in the month of June. United's ability to do well in league football was hit on the head by the action of a certain Herr Hitzler, a former painter in civilian life. The creed the match programme, reflecting back on the season as it came to its close. Stanley Matthews turned out for United. He never had, nor would he ever play for the Reds again, but needs must. This was war football, stretching on into the summer of 1940. Well, 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 said the United programme as it welcomed fans for the final match of the West League. What a team. 25-year-old Stanley Matthews was described as a star in himself, the greatest outside right since the days of Billy Meredith. The United team was a cluttered goulash of players from across the country, a mixture of youth players from the blossoming Mujak, the forerunner to the academy, and stars who had been given short spells of leave from the army. Referred to by the programme only as the national emergency rather than war, United welcomed not only Stanley Matthews, but also Alec Hurd and Peter Doherty, both of whom were Manchester City players. Alec, father of future United striker David Hurd, was a Scottish international and a member of the 1934 cup-winning side and 1937 title-lifting City team. While Alec made a rare and extraordinary appearance for United in 1940, six-year-old son David was at home. Alec's teammate, Peter Doherty, was a talented forward who in later life would discover Kevin Keegan playing for Scunthorpe United and recommend him to Bill Shankly's Liverpool. Rake Carter, real name Horatio Carter, was also involved in a vanguard that should fear nothing. Carter was a bewilderingly clever inside forward who was stationed at Loughborough with the RAF. He had guided his hometown side, Sunderland, to the league title in 1936 and an FA Cup in 37. and after appearing for Derby, the local team to Loughborough, during the war, he then signed for them after it and won the cup again, and thus became the only player to lift the FA Cup on either side of the Second World War. Carter was also a first-class cricketer. He batted with his right hand and bowled with his left. Together with the brilliant Matthews then, it was thought the star-studded forward line would present a serious challenge to a good Everton side. That wasn't really the case. Hurd's shooting boots were missing and Matthews was restricted by good defending from Norman Greenhow. The Goodison boys were the Football League's most recent champions. They'd also been champions in the final season before World War I, leading to an oft-told joke from opposition fans that Everton always looked forward to wars. In the last five minutes of the game, Stevenson scored an incredible hat-trick that offered an uncomplimentary result to United out of nowhere, really. One man was conspicuous by his absence, and that man was Matt Busby. Busby was, at this point, a right half-back for Liverpool, who he had signed for from Manchester City some years previously. He'd taken some time to settle in at City, but was a key figure in the 34 FA Cup win, and his time at Liverpool was cut short by war. It is also hoped, wrote Casual of the Manchester Evening Chronicle, writing in the Matchday programme, to include Matt Busby, the Liverpool and ex-City player, at right half-back. Busby couldn't play, though. He wasn't given leave from the army and so it would be another five years before he returned to Manchester with his suitcase and plonked them down on the floor in Heaton Chapel at the home of Joe Armstrong, United's chief scout and a friend of his. I regard him as one of the most polished right halfbacks I've ever seen, said the reporter. But it wasn't to be then. Busby went on to make a few guest appearances for Hibernian. Instead, he also turned out for Reading, Chelsea and Aldershot during the war, the closest teams to his station in England. It's a shame he didn't get to leave to play for Manchester United just once, but he did keep in touch with Louis Rocker.
for all of these players who came in for United, Hurd, Matthews, Doherty, Carter, Busby, Walter Crickmore would have had to write to each one or communicate through a friend of a friend to convince them to come and turn out for Manchester United. He'd then have to send a letter to each man's army supervisor or commanding officer to ensure that they were free to leave their camp or barracks and come and play for Manchester United. And then he'd have to put the team out deal with the fact that up until the day of the game it wasn't known if Busby could play or not and so have a reserve ready and he had to manage tickets, conversations with governments and authorities about playing at Old Trafford and everything else. All of this in a few days, week after week. A little dynamo. War grew in intensity in 1940 and United's youth team stopped playing in the 40-41 season. A first team and a second team run. Crickman managed games every week for both teams if he could, the first team in the War Leagues and the second team in the Manchester League against teams like Droylston, Buxton and Hyde. And Crickman's having to be versatile and adaptable at this point. The team is made up of a completely different set of players most weeks. Johnny Kerry is a bit of a constant and Crickman plays him all over the pitch wherever he needs to. Originally an inside forward, Kerry learnt to play at fullback, right half, centre half and all over the pitch. With six of their players in the army and another dozen scattered at work all over the country, Mr Crickmay is not finding team selection an easy matter these days. Up to midday today, he could not tell me definitely what the side would be. One newspaper report the day before a match read. The Luftwaffe followed the moon's reflection up the Manchester ship canal. Elite, low-flying regiments engaged in strafing runs in from Liverpool's coast. The Germans sent their most accurate units. Trafford Park was Europe's largest industrial estate, and despite its importance to the war effort, the blood-curling wail of air raid sirens had been unheard in these parts before autumn 1940. But such mercy would not last long. Manchester United moved to Stratford not long after Trafford Park was converted from a beautifully timbered deer park into the world's first planned industrial estate. When Ernest Magnell took charge of United's first game at Old Trafford in 1910, the deer had been killed off. The club was born out of the Lancashire and Yorkshire Railway Company and has always neighboured industry. Passing trains would drape their steam across United's first ground in Clayton. United stars played under the smog of the adjacent chemical works at our second stadium. The third ground was grand, slick, enormous, but still surrounded by the unavoidable presence of Manchester's industry. Trafford Park's workers manufactured the Rolls-Royce Merlin engines. These powered the World War II Spitfire and Lancaster bombers. More than 30,000 men and women worked at the Metrovix factory in Trafford Park, another 17,000 at the newly built Ford plant. Old Trafford's corridors and spare rooms were used for military storage. The terror of London's 56-day blitz concerned Mancunians, and when Liverpool suffered a three-night bombardment only five days before Christmas, it was clear that Manchester's time had come. German radio declared, The Manchester people have bought their turkeys for Christmas, but they won't be cooking them. Guided by the moon, the Luftwaffe's snarls competed with sirens' moans just as Mancunians finished Sunday dinner on December the 22nd, 1940. Cutlery was left scattered on tables as Manchester's population scuttled into bunkers. 450 people squeezed into a hume bunker built for only 200. Within an hour, debris trapped them inside. 270 aircraft dropped more than a thousand bombs in a night. The Metro Vix factory's cast to iron water tower acted as the Luftwaffe's guiding point. 
It stuck out from the industry below. The bombers lined up on the tower and hit targets around it. In response, the British simply removed it. The London Blitz was psychological, but Manchester's specifically targeted industry and factories. Albert Square took the first bomb. A minute later, the Royal Exchange was ablaze. The Victoria buildings adjacent to the cathedral followed. Fire gushed out of a gas pipe nearby. Buildings collapsed and fire spread. It had only been five minutes. Firemen scurried round, doing what they could. News came in from Eccles. A stray bomb has killed 12 first aiders hosting a Christmas party. 31 are injured. The family next door are all dead. Hundreds of fires raged in the city centre. The Sackville Street warehouses are alight, winged with red lightning and impetuous rage. One eyewitness claimed, you could read a newspaper at night, it was so bright. Others believed it was England's biggest fire since 1666. The focus then turned to Stretford, Hume and Salford. A manic half hour begins absurdly as a bomb falls into a playground paddling pool. The following hundreds would not be so fortuitous. Huge craters bruised the streets. Six policemen are killed at Stretford's East Union Street Police Station. United's own Walter Crickmer, his day job, is at Old Trafford County Police Headquarters. At one point during the war, he was almost killed in the rubble of a building and was carried out with injured back and legs. With communication lines destroyed, messengers are sent out on bicycles. They weave through fires, craters and rubble. Trafford Park Hotel's bowling green is hit. A neighbouring resident suddenly finds the bowls in his kitchen. In Salford, two fractured water mains flood the burning street. It's apocalyptic. A blast at Manchester Cathedral ends the bombing, lifting the entire lead roof up off the building. It somehow lands perfectly back in place, but everything inside the cathedral is utterly destroyed. The next day is chaotic. Fires are gradually brought under control and the sun rises to reveal the true destruction. A stray bomb has chipped Old Trafford. In the surrounding area, 130 people have been killed. The total in all of Manchester is 684. It's unimaginable. A soldier on leave approaches a Stretford church with his fiancée. Their wedding will have to be rearranged. There is no church anymore. Old Trafford does survive despite a small hit. Walter Crickman does too. In March, Old Trafford is caught once again though. And this time, it's irreversible. The main stand is rubble. Uh, that was all bombed. And when he learned of that, that's the only time my cousin said he saw his father cry. Alan Embling here, nephew of James W. Gibson. He'd had 10 years of rebuilding a club to see it all smashed by the bombs. The United President Gibson just broke down and wept, his son later recalled. It was a symbolic blow. In 1930, United had teetered on the brink of bankruptcy. Gibson and Crickmer together, they'd built the club back up. Now, Old Trafford was worthless. There would be no income from matches. The buildings were worth almost nothing, and the cost of clearing the site would be so large. In 1941, when we were bombed, you know, <laughs> we had nothing. The whole club was nothing. We, there was no pitch. There was no stands. There was nothing. We had nothing. No players. They're all at war. We had nothing. Unbelievable. United, to its core, had been destroyed. The soul of the club was there, of course, but Crickmer, United's secretary manager, 
was now without shirts, shorts, balls or boots. Club records were gone, as were the gymnasium and the pitch and the stadium. Crickmer rolled up his sleeves and set about the second rebuilding of United in his career at the club. Bear in mind now that Old Trafford was not just United's stadium and pitch, it was the club's training ground and office as well. This was Crickmer's workplace. He responded, though, in typically determined fashion. We got nothing. So we had to scrounge around to get, I don't know if you understand how the war worked, but you had to get clothing coupons and you could only go to a shop and exchange the coupons for clothing or the coupons for food or the coupons for household goods, you only, you only could, you, cash was not acceptable, you only could buy coupons. So he had, and coupons were given to each family on a weekly basis by the government. So he had to scrounge around all the local community with, you know, on his hands and knees saying, has anybody got any clothing coupons that they could give the club so the club can buy kit, boots, shorts, shirts? So he's doing all that. And meanwhile, all the local supporters are giving them clothing coupons, which means they're not buying clothes for their kids or buying clothes for themselves because they're giving their own clothing coupons to Manchester United. Can you imagine that? A football club the size of United going going out to the local community saying, can you please give us clothing coupons to be able to buy a, a football kit for our first team? Man, professional Manchester United football. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, he contacted Manchester City to negotiate the use of their ground. The history books will tell you that City kindly offered their ground to the beleaguered United. The truth is not quite that. United were charged £5,000 a year plus a percentage of gate receipts, and so the club's debt would keep growing. Nevertheless, the topic of youth was very much on Crickman's mind still at this point. He didn't want to lose United's young talents amid the mayhem of war. But then what he did was he then looked at a couple of local clubs to see if he could start an affiliation. July 1941, he got in touch with a guy called Abraham Gosling who ran a team called the Goslings. And what he agreed with him was that all of our juniors could play in the Goslings team under the, you know, the administrators of Gosling because these were local people in the Manchester area who weren't involved in the war effort because their, their jobs were in Trafford Park and they needed to be, you know, making all the equipment, making all the bombs, making planes, making, you know, materials for the war effort. So they were conscripted into the army. Anybody who lived in Trafford Park and worked in Trafford Park kept their jobs because they needed to, to have this output of material for the war effort. So they continued to do what they did. And so he had all these people who wanted to play football. So they set up their own team called the Goslings under this, this family of, which were, and they were basically fishmongers and fruit people. So they had shops all over Manchester called the Goslings. And they had a football team called the Goslings. So for the next three or four years, all the juniors were playing in the Goslings. The players that were playing in the Goslings were the 17 and 18-year-olds. But it's a works league. You've got burly workmen who are doing 10-hour shifts and then they're going to go and play football. So it's a, it's a hardly... It seems possible that the link to the Gosling brothers, Abraham, Clifford and Frederick, might have come from Louis Rocker. He lived near the family on Oldham Road in Manchester. But anyway, the Gosling's team became part of the United infrastructure. They shared a ground with Newton Heath Loco and acted as the United junior team, basically, for 17 and 18-year-olds who had either been in the United system pre-war or were newly discovered prospects. United funded the Gosling's and provided the players. Meanwhile, the Gosling brothers, all Reds themselves, handled administration, coaching and organisation. 
Crickman didn't stop there. He wanted to restart the Mujak teams too. And so in the 1942-43 season, that's exactly what he did. He sets up the Mujaks again and plays them in the Rush Home Amateur League. How he did that, I have no idea. So now you've got players playing in the Manchester Amateur League and now we've got four teams again. You've got the first team, you've got the reserve, you've got the Goslings, which is the A team, and now you've got the Colts. You've got the Mujaks again. And he did that. So he's running. So in 1942-43, he's running four teams. And there's no administrator. There's no help. There's no secretaries. Sorry, not secretary. He's the secretary. All he had was the help of part-time people, such as maybe Jimmy Porter and maybe one or two senior players who were around the club at the time. But he's doing all the work. The Goslings team was made up of those too old for the juniors, but not quite experienced enough for the first team. One such player was Walter Shepherd, a future England international and a hero to the local boys of his area. He was credited as the first international player outfield in glasses and one of the few who have won international honours from teams so humbly circumstanced as Goslings. Jack Crompton and Henry Cockburn were also involved. And so some of those Gosling players obviously would move up and they'd then be replaced by those from the Moojacks. In 1943-44, Crickmore was now running five teams. The Goslings are in the Manchester Amateur League. The Colts play in the Rosham Amateur League. The Mujak Bees play in the South Manchester Withenshaw League. This is in addition to the reserves and the first team. And in the wider landscape of English football, it was unique. And thanks to Walter Crickmore. And I'm looking at the names of these lads, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, I don't... Oh, Billy Redman. I come across Billy Redman. So Billy Redman was playing in our Mujaks in 1943 and he eventually went on to play in the championship side in 51-52, 10 years later. He's only 15 here. So he was obviously scouted by the local schools and sent to United. It was no wonder that Matt Busby led United to Cup glory in 1948. Hundreds of Manchester United players were scouted, reared and trained ready for the end of war and the resumption of football. The maintenance of a youth system was complemented by the continuation of first-team fixtures which Crickmer was in charge of. In the seven years of war, Crickmer handed debuts out and trained the players who would be key for Busby's first great team. Charlie Mitten, Johnny Morris, John Aston, Stan Pearson, Arthur Rowley, Jack Crompton, Johnny Anderson. All these players were given debuts either before or during the war by Walter Crickmer, and Johnny Kerry's an interesting one too. Kerry was initially an inside forward, but with Crickmer scrabbling to find an 11 for United each week, he had to be versatile, as did Kerry. One report reads, For versatility, the case of Kerry, Manchester United's 20-year-old inside forward, will take some beating. Since the war, he has figured in six positions in United's teams, both full-back berths, right half and centre half, and each inside forward position. What is more, according to Mr. Walter Crickmer, he has filled them all admirably. Yeah, Kerry played... People said, oh, you know, Matt Busby made Kerry, Johnny Kerry into a fullback. I can tell you now, my record showed Johnny Kerry played fullback 40 or 50 times before Busby was even on the phone. In November 1944, Walter's daughter, Miss Beryl Joan Crickmer, married third engineer officer Reginald Wilton Norman of Milford Haven at Manchester Cathedral. The war continued to rage on. This is London. The Prime Minister... Right Honourable Winston Churchill. Yesterday morning at 2.41am at General Eisenhower's headquarters, General Jodl, the representative of the German High Command and of Grand Admiral Dönitz, 
the designated head of the German state, signed the act of unconditional surrender. Uh, hostilities will end officially at one minute after midnight tonight, Tuesday the 8th of May. We may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoicing. But let us not forget for a moment the toils and efforts that lie ahead. Crickmer had guided Manchester United through the war, ready for Sergeant Major Matt Busby. I don't think we would have survived the way we did or be the club we, we eventually are without Crickmer doing what he did, not just with the Mujak. I think Mujak is just part of his legacy. I think his bigger legacy is keeping the club going through the war. It just blows your mind. What, what an amazing man. A totally amazing man. The Busby secret is out read the papers in February 1945. Last Thursday, I said the club would probably be very near here, and that transpires to be correct. For Matt phoned me at noon today to say he had just signed to go as manager to Manchester United when he is demobilised. Mr Walter Crickmer, United Secretary, also spoke to me at the same time. We're all very happy about it, said Crickmer, and are looking forward to Matt taking up the reins here in due course. You just have to think that Crickmer and Busby had a conversation in 1945 when Crickmer signed Busby as the new manager, that Busby said to Crickmer, what's the playing staff like? And Crickmer says, well, here's a list of all the players and here's, here's what, where they can play and here's what's happened and told Busby these things. So when Busby takes over, he tries carry at fullback. Well, he already knew he played there because Crickmer would have told him. They're not just, he's not going to just take over and not have a conversation with Walter Crickmer. He's run the bloody show for six years. When Matt Busby arrived back in Manchester, he first stayed at Joe Armstrong's house. Old Trafford was in ruins. Manchester United were in debt. Football was a mess. But a steady ship had been maintained at United. Crickmer had laid the foundations for the great Scott to create one of football's greatest and most iconic legacies. When Matt arrived in his army uniform, he sat down next to Walter to sign his contract as United manager. It was the passing over of the baton. I think it's important to describe Crickmer as a United manager, one of the longest serving in the club's history actually. His final big moment was the North Cup final against Bolton Wanderers. It was late May 1945, war was over and it was to be a day of celebration. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 80,000 people were expected to be at Main Road. Bolton won the two-legged affair. In United's team was Major R. White, a Tottenham amateur halfback who had been a sergeant at Dunkirk, where he suffered temporary blindness when his boat was attacked. As Busby became manager and brought in Jimmy Murphy as his assistant, Crickmer returned to his full-time role as club secretary. He was finally paid again too. He was no longer picking the first team, organising the reserves, nor managing every aspect of the Mujaks, Colts or Goslings. He was just club secretary again. The 1946-47 season was the first one to be normal after the war, and Crickman's role at this point was now liaising with league and club officials, paying referees, registering players, welcoming opposition dignitaries. It must have been quite the come down in terms of workload. Tickets was probably the biggest area of work for Crickman, especially so in 1948 when United went on a cup run. In mid-February, a huge queue formed outside Old Trafford, all of them looking to buy tickets for the cup game against Preston North End later in the month. Goals from Mitten, Rowley and Pearson, all three of whom were given their debuts by Crickmer, won United the game. And that win took United into the semi-finals. A Pearson hat-trick against Derby County at Hillsborough took United into the final. Within a day of the semi-final victory, thousands of applications for cup final tickets were making their way to Walter Crickmer and his assistants. Special mail vans were used to deliver Manchester United's Wembley Post a day and by midday more than 30,000 applications had been delivered for the club's quota of 12,000 cup final tickets. The most sought-after man in Manchester and the man with the biggest football problem to solve is Mr W Crickmer. He and a special staff worked throughout the weekend trying to cope with the flood of letters. I have never experienced anything like it before. The demand is absolutely overwhelming, Crickmer said. By yesterday afternoon, we had received 16 to 18,000 letters, thousands of them stuffed through the letterbox by people who had travelled many miles to make personal deliveries. A special police guard is being kept throughout the night on the club's offices, where letters containing in all between 20 and 30,000 pounds in money, cheques and post orders are stacked feet deep. As Crickmer dealt with the thousands of applications, another matter was a play too. Since 1941, United had been unable to play at home at Old Trafford. Rubble remained on the site. There was a war going on, after all, and there were bigger priorities. But it was 1948 now, and the ground still remained a bombsite. It had been a long battle with government officials to convince them that United deserved financial assistance to rebuild their stadium. James Gibson came with the connections that helped, most notably the MP Ellis Smith, a keen United supporter. But it was Crickmer who would deal with the admin of the whole scenario, writing endlessly to try and convince people of the need for a grant. Ellis Smith asked the House of Commons how many First Division clubs had suffered damage and needed rebuilding work. That was in November 1947. Crickmer was very disheartened by the delays that followed the arrival of the matter onto the national political scene. But Smith continued to persevere. And on March the 16th, 1948, Manchester United have received government sanction to go ahead on repairing their bombed damaged ground at Old Trafford to accommodate 60,000 spectators. 
there is no question of the stand being reconstructed as too much steel work is involved. What the license covers is the necessary repairs to the terracing and several buildings to make the grounds safe. The news, long and eagerly awaited by thousands of the club's followers, was announced today by Mr Ellis MP, MP for Stoke, who has championed United's case in Parliament for many months. After many months of consultation, deputations and letters, Mr Smith has been informed by the Minister of Works, Mr C.W. Key, that instructions have now been given for United to be issued with a licence to carry out repairs. Mr Walter Crickmer, United Secretary, to whom I gave the news this afternoon, told me, We are tremendously pleased. We could easily carry out work on the terracing to make it suitable for 60,000 people. The All Lancashire finalists take the field at Wembley. Manchester United in dark shirts, Blackpool in white. It's the North's big day. Sunshine warms the stadium. And On April 24, 1948, Manchester United lifted the FA Cup for the first time in four decades. Crompton, Kerry, Aston, Anderson, Chilton, Cockburn, Delaney, Morris, Rowley, Pearson, Mitten. Manager, Matt Busby. Goals, Rowley, Rowley, Pearson, Anderson. Score, 4-2. Stadium, Wembley, attendance 99,842, winners Manchester United, players developed by Walter Crickmer, Crompton, Kerry, Aston, Anderson, Rowley, Pearson, Mitten, Morris. I'm not saying Busby wasn't a good manager and I'm not saying any of that stuff. All I'm saying is facts are facts and if you, when people give the plaudits to Busby, unfortunately none of the plaudits have gone to Crickmer and Crickmer was the backbone behind everything. Matt Busby was rightly the talk of the town. A young manager, a paternalistic attitude, in control of everything at the club, a brilliant coach. But it would not have been possible, the 1948 Cup win, without Crickmer and the work he put in. The engine, the machinery, the mechanics of the operation were something that was in Crickmer's head. Vision was in Gibson's head. The Development of everything was in Busby's head, but it needed the three of them to make it work initially. And, you know, it took, it took colossal effort to pull it around from that. It was no surprise that when the team photo came to be taken, it was not just Sir Matt who sat central in the front row, but Crickmer too. Only three non-playing staff are in that photo. Busby, trainer Tom Curry and Walter Crickmer. Crickmer continued to serve United loyally for another decade. The picture I get of him is a man who was always around at Manchester United. A man who really loved football, everything about it. A man who helped young players to settle in, who took on any task he needed to with enthusiasm and dedication. A constant presence around the first two of Busby's great teams, including the Busby Babes. He represented United just as much as Matt Busby. On those first European nights at Main Road as United made their daring entrance into the European Cup, Crickmer would have welcomed the foreign officials and players of Anderlecht, Dortmund, Bilbao, Madrid, Prague and Belgrade at Manchester Airport, taken them to their hotel and put on an official banquet for the evening. He was a truly affable man who was liked by all. And he really cared about football fans because he was a massive fan of Manchester United. When young fans came down to Old Trafford pleading for autographs from the stars of the day, Crickmer would be there too. He liked to chat to United fans about anything, but mainly football. On match days, when he wasn't in the process of conducting official duties, he'd go and mingle with the crowds going into the game. 
Walter would often make a beeline for away fans. Liverpool were one group he loved to talk to. He was a huge fan of the great Billy Liddle and would want to know how he was going. In 1957, Manchester United welcomed Real Madrid to England for the European Cup semi-final. Crickmer again dealt with the tickets. Never do I remember interest to match this. We have had requests for tickets reaching over 250,000. They even exceed those made when we were in the 1948 Cup final. And you know what a rush that was. United had come close to European glory at the first attempt in 1957. Only the might of Real Madrid had seen them off. But if there was any team that could match that glitteringly dominant Los Blancos team of the 1950s, it was Matt Busby's babes. 1958 represented a new opportunity for England's champions and Busby was certainly going to take it. January of the new year brought the start of the European economic community. Lego patented their famous brick. The House of Lords passed a bill allowing women to take seats in the chamber and United managed a 2-1 home win against Red Star Belgrade thanks to goals from Bobby Charlton and Eddie Coleman. United had trailed at half-time in the fog and the rain, but Charlton's equaliser and Coleman's tap-in gave the Reds a narrow advantage to take to Yugoslavia. United follow up the win against Red Star by thrashing Bolton 7-2. Charlton scores a hat-trick, Violet scores two, Scanlon and Edwards both score one each. Busby has all of his sights set on European Cup glory and is working his players hard. The mood is good. United look great. Behind the scenes, Walter Crickmer is working, focusing on the administration. United need to get to Belgrade and back without compromising their ability to play their fixtures in the league. The Football League has no intention of letting United off the hook. Any mistakes will be held to account. Crickmer had arranged, presumably with the help of his staff, for United to fly to Belgrade and back via Munich, Germany. He booked a charter flight. He won't be going on it. He doesn't normally do the overseas trips himself. Busby's team beat Ipswich in the FA Cup fourth round and after training on the 27th of January, he takes them into the laundry room to listen to the fifth round draw on the radio. It's Sheffield Wednesday up next. Around this time, Alan Embling, nephew of James Gibson, is at Old Trafford watching a game and chats with Walter Crickmer. Actually, I went with my father when we were at Old Trafford I think it was three weeks before the Munich crash. And that's the last time I saw Walter Crickmer. Uh, he, uh, we went to the match then, obviously in the director's box. February arrives, and on its first day, United beat Arsenal 5-4. It's a game for the ages of quality, grit, hard work, individual brilliance and teamwork. Crickmer continues to work on arrangements for the trip to Belgrade and is told by Busby to reserve a free seat for Frank Swift, the ex-City keeper. Busby's old mate and now a journalist. Two days after beating Arsenal, United's players rub their hands to keep warm as they wait for a bus to Manchester Airport from Old Trafford. Walter Crickmer is with the party. He hadn't meant to be on the trip, but James Gibson's son, Alan, who represents the club everywhere they go, well, he's broken his ankle. Crickmer takes his place. They fly to Belgrade via Munich and train the next day on an icy pitch just outside the Red Star Stadium. An unchanged team is set to be announced once again. The next day, United go through against Red Star, conceding three goals but scoring the same amount. 5-4 winners on aggregate. United are into the semi-finals for the second consecutive year and this time they'll play AC Milan. They celebrate with a post-match banquet hosted by Red Star. They sing 
they eat, they drink, they dance, but they know they have to get home to play Wolves on Saturday. On February the 6th, 1958, United prepare to fly home. Takeoff from Belgrade is delayed by an hour after Johnny Berry loses his passport. The charter flight lands in Munich to refuel at 1.15 GMT. Walter Crickmer and Matt Busby were fully aware of the pressure to get home in time for their Saturday fixture. Snow was on the runway. Three times they tried to take off, and twice they turned back again. There was no screaming, there was no shouting, there was nothing like that at all. Darkness and daylight and sparks and thumps and smacks. You, you can't describe it. That was a dreadful time. Three Manchester United youth team players were altar boys today at St Anne's Roman Catholic Church, Stretford, Manchester, where a funeral service was held for Walter Crickmer, United Secretary, before burial at Stretford Cemetery. Walter Crickmer was a very nice man, an incredible man. Everyone had a great deal of respect for Walter Crickmer. Um, he is a, an incredible man. When the Munich air crash happened and they lost Walter Crickmer, that's why the club almost died. Not because they didn't have players, but they didn't have an organisation. Jimmy Murphy was looking after the first team, but they, Bert Wally died, Tom Curry died, Walter Crickmer died. So who was looking after the administration of the club? Who knew about the administration of the club? Yeah, I think that's a legitimate thing to say that Tony was saying. That's when Les Olive stepped into the fray, you know, as the new secretary, and he, had, he was the assistant. He was he basically he was Walter Crickmer's gopher. Um, he, and he was a player at United, a junior player, and he eventually had to move into being the secretary. So his, his career went by and by and he became the secretary. Only a year before, Walter Crickmer had perched on the side of the bath in United's Old Trafford dressing room. Holding up a cup of champagne, he celebrated with Duncan Edwards, Bobby Charlton and the rest. The atmosphere was bubbling as much as his drink. A group of young boys who were en route to achieving greatness. Everything. Crickmer had wanted to see from his favourite football club. His funeral was a quiet one. The tributes to him were few and far between. At Munich, it was carnage. I mean, people were just putting sticking plasters over and band-aids over, you know, whatever needed being done. And the last thing they were doing was about recording history. No one had been recording history, not for years. As Crickmer toiled away during the war, who was going to note down his work then? As he did so for Matt Busby too, who was going to note down his work then? There were enough people who knew, the journalists who covered the club, that's for sure. But they were dead too. Was, all the reporters are dead, so there's no one to report. No one who knew the club was alive anymore. So nobody knew who Crickmer was or Curry was or Wally were. They knew they, knew they, were, they were former footballers, but that's, that's all they knew. But they didn't know what they were doing or why they did it or anything else because you didn't have the communications you have these days. So once all the newspaper men died, and new newspaper men stepped into the front. When David Meek took over the Manchester Evening News as the United reporter, 58, he never had any, he didn't know anything about Manchester United. He never knew. And, there, and now Tom Jackson wasn't there to tell him all about it. And so 60 years later, Walter Crickmer has been too often forgotten for the most part. Hopefully not anymore. What an incredible story and what an incredible man. They were the men who inserted that gene into Manchester United's DNA, that you do it with the youth, that you bring forward your own talent. It just blows your mind. 
what, what an amazing man. A totally amazing man. Thank you for listening to episode seven of United Through Time. Next time, Marcus Rashford scores, point a nod in the direction of Walter Crickmer, the man who started the greatest tradition there is at Manchester United. Youth. The man who saved the club during the war. The man who has been forgotten for far too long. Thank you to my guests, Tony Park and Jim White, both of whom gave me a great deal of their time to talk. Thank you also to Alan Embling, nephew of James W. Gibson, former United president. Thank you to the patrons who made this show possible. James Stewart, John Luby, Kasim Karishi, Tony Canland, Jordan Wilcock, Ryan Bartlett, Paul Glover, Jacob Spurge, Kyle Macridakis and Ewan. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support the podcast, just tell your mate about it. That'll do. And next time you're wandering through the streets of Manchester, remember that you're walking on history, on the ground where Walter Crickmer led the Busby Babes to get their suits fitted, where Matt Busby leaned out of a bus with the European Cup. And when you get back to Old Trafford, look around and think, this is where it all happened, right here. It's powerful. Bye for now. This episode was researched, written, hosted and produced by me, Harry Robinson, in association with the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.